You're listening to DraftKings Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, one, two, three, four. Oh, there it is. Is that better? Yeah, no. Yeah, here we go. This is crazy. I'm so excited. I want to do, let's do a three-hour-long show today. (laughs) Welcome to Oddball. I'm Amino Hassan. That over there is Charlotte Wilder in a studio. I mean, I'm a real boy now. I'm in a studio. Look, I didn't want to say it. We officially eclipsed 50 episodes yesterday. Episode 51, (laughs) you've unlocked studio access, right? And then it just goes up from here. Yeah, nobody told me I was being hazed this whole time. They were like, stay in your bedroom. But if you make it to 50, we'll let you, uh, it will give you a real microphone. It's a probationary period. But the probation is over. You're official now. Welcome to Metal Life Media. We'll work on getting you benefits. (laughs) That's probably after episode 200. For right now, you got a studio, okay? Uh, As you can see, it is still Spirit Week. I'm still repping for my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in my quest to become a famous alum who strolls the sidelines for games. So, fingers crossed, GT, you guys. Can I I ask you something? I mean, do you have, like, a game plan? Like, do you have someone in the alumni office that you're planning on reaching out to? Like, how are we doing this? Are you just hoping they watch Oddball? Here's what I realized. If I reach out to the alumni office, they're going to reach back out with an open hand. And I'm trying to do this as financially uh, prudent as possible. So what I'm trying to do is demonstrate the power and the reach of the most famous non-athlete alum in Georgia Tech history. That's right. I don't care if you were the CEO of Coca-Cola or whatever. I'm more famous because people know who I am, not you, CEO of Coca-Cola, whatever the name is. I don't even know your name, see? So when the CEO of Coca-Cola says, I was Georgia Tech, nobody cares. But when I wear gear, merch, on air, everyone's like, I didn't know me went to Georgia Tech. I'm going to get some, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to join you on the quest to be the most vocal Colby College alum. That's got to be easier because you don't have to deal with athletes. I got to deal with Chris Bosh and Jared Jack and and, and Megatron. Like that's my competition is people who played sports at a very high level. Your competition is what, poets? No, there there are a few sports media people kicking around, but you know. Name them. Uh, I don't really want to. Let's okay. just uh, talk about. Let's talk about uh, the Sixers. Didn't know Skip Bayless went there. Okay, cool. Uh, let's talk about the Sixers. James Harden reported at camp. He didn't look 600 pounds overweight. He didn't come in butt naked, as I suggested on the Dan Lebetard show. He came in like a regular dude. He participated in all the practices. And uh, head coach Nick Nurse said everything was cool. He was a regular guy. And so I, I don't know if you read this piece in the Athletic, but Sam Amick 
talk to Nick Nurse about why training camp is in Colorado to begin with and some of the expectations. And within that, Sam Amick speculates that, hey, look, even though Harden is reporting, he is still just as incensed at Daryl Morey as he ever was. And there's yeah. no guarantee that he's not going to blow everything up. It might be in practice. It might be during camp. It might be at halftime of a preseason game. We don't know. All we know is James Harden is still, still pretty pissed. Yeah, I don't fully understand. It, it almost makes me more nervous. Like if I were the Sixers, I'd be more nervous that he showed up ready to play seemingly because it's like, what are you planning down the line, James? There's no way that this can set. You can just suddenly go from Daryl Moore as a liar to I'm ready to continue to sacrifice for this team. Do you know what I mean? Charlotte, I've said this for a long time now. In the NFL, you don't like your contract. You don't like your situation. You sit out. You don't show up. You don't show yeah. up to training camp. You sit up. In the NBA, you don't like your situation. You want it to change. You show up. You show up and you make a mess. <laughs> And the best part about that is that when you show up and everyone knows this guy's liable to make a mess, you almost have this weird mind control over everybody where you don't actually have to do anything. Yeah. Because everyone's just like, here it comes. It's about to happen. It's like there's a, a Family Guy episode where Stewie beat up Brian. So in return, he says, Brian, I'll let you get one, one good punch at me. And Brian says, okay. And then he proceeds to not do it. And just ah, like just make some flinch and stuff. And Stewie's like, just go ahead and hit me already because the yeah, fear they're just of walking hit, on eggshells. The fear of getting hit is greater than actually getting hit, and that's well, what Harden is playing with right now. Another another thing that happened to the Sixers was that because they're playing in Colorado, mm -hmm. uh, Colorado State, Deion Sanders came and gave a talk to the team at dinner and said. Let well, me see. Hold on, what wait, 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 a couple of things before you what? before you go on. Number one, they're they're practicing Colorado State. Why didn't they get the Colorado State coach who said, "I don't wear my hat, and my sunglasses indoors because my mama raised me better" or whatever? That, that they should have got that guy to come talk. Yeah, to why them. don't they get the guy who wears the gas station attendant shirt to show he's a blue collar worker and the shirt is blue, which it yeah. just feels a little on the nose. No, nope, I mean, no, nope, it's know. never too on the nose. But they did get Deion Sanders. Charlotte, you don't have to look up the quote because here's the video and audio. <gasps> Everyone wants to be Tarzan on paper. That's a hell of a quote, man. You know what? I think he might have a future in this coaching thing. <laughs> oh, you think it might work out? I think it might just work out. And I mean on the NBA level. Deion Sanders, head coach, NBA team. Yeah. Honestly, who says no? I sure don't. Who says no? Look, maybe this is part of his grand plan because I feel like Dion has his sights set on something. No offense to Colorado, but maybe something more. And maybe he's like, okay, so I played, I played in the NFL, I played in Major League Baseball mm -hmm. at the same time. What's what's another league that I could conquer the Hockey. NBA by being a coach? Hockey. Hockey. Let's do it, Dion. Primetime hits the ice. Primetime on ice. There you go. I done made the whole marketing package for you. Hey, there you uh, go. Elsewhere, well, not elsewhere in Colorado because the Nuggets aren't doing training camp in Colorado. They're doing training camp in San Diego, which is an hour and a half south of Los Angeles, where the Lakers on media day, or if you're following, went from Colorado to San Diego to Los Angeles, where Lakers on media day, it was like it was a talking point for everybody to talk about the Nuggets 
and how they were going to let them push him around and how disrespected they were. And, uh, you know, oh, Anthony Davis says, I'm going to play 82 games and the Nuggets are on my circle. Then I talked to LeBron a lot about the Nuggets and Nuggets, 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 Nuggets. And Coach Malone, Michael, Michael Malone had a really interesting rebuttal, Charlotte. Do you know what it was? He said, oh, they're talking about us. That was what, four months ago? I can't speak for anybody in L.A., but if they're still worried about us, that's on them. But, yeah, I don't listen to any of that stuff. I don't know what they're saying. And if we're on their minds, then I guess that's on them. And, I mean, this is so funny to me because this is the man who spent the Lakers lived rent free in that man's head after the Nuggets swept the Lakers in the playoffs last year when they won the championship against the Heat, not against the Lakers. Uh, Michael Malone was introduced as the Lakers daddy. He wore a shirt um, trolling LeBron. I mean, um, he wore a shirt with a quote on it that he had said about the Lakers. He trolled LeBron saying that Michael Malone was like, well, I might retire. And now he's like, he, it's like he's, he's, he was really into this girl and she was sort of like, okay. And he talked about her a lot after it didn't work out. And now she's talking about him because someone asked her about him and he's like, oh, that. Oh, I Charlotte. never really cared. Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte. You're so sweet and innocent. You don't know how the game what? is played. No, that's not what Michael Malone. They didn't live rent-free Michael Malone's head. Michael Malone let them stay on a couch at his house. That's different from <laughs> saying rent-free. living. No, 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 no. You can stay on a couch at my house, and in return, I get to call you a bum every opportunity. I get. What? What? But you're on my couch, right? You want to say something about it? Look, he did the ultimate, right? He bust their ass. They swept them. Remember yep. that. Yep. Uh, including game four, LeBron had the game in his hands and had, you know, drove to uh, for the game tying, game winning bucket and was blocked by Jamal Murray. I mean, he got defensively locked down and yep. weak side blocked by Jamal Murray. It's like, yo, man, it was the most humiliating way to go out for them. <laughs> and then they went out and won the title. And then, you know, while. This whole thing is going on. People are still updating us on the Lakers, right? The media is updating us on the Lakers. It's, oh, the Lakers, how do they come back out of a 2-0 hole? How do they come out of the 3-0 hole? Down 4-0, they're done. How do they come back from this? And it's never talking about what the Nuggets did amazingly. Right. And then even then, in the middle of the finals, what did we get? We get LeBron's like, maybe I should retire, which we all yeah, knew you wasn't know you're real. Right. right? Is This is all the desperate clinging of attention that the Lakers and LeBron all wanted. They want the attention, all eyes on us. As LeBron said himself, enjoy your moment in the light. Remember, I am the sun. Again, everything revolves around him. Right. But that's a different era. That's not where we're at right now. Right now, the Nuggets are the center of the universe. Everybody else revolves around them and Nikola Jokic. And so Michael Malone did the ultimate troll, 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 and then he got all these reactions over the summer and into media day from the Lakers, and then what's, what do you do as the ultimate troll? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's no. like, oh, it's like the Don Draper thing when the guy's in the elevator and he's like, I feel sorry for you, and Don Draper goes, I don't think mm -hmm. about you I at all. I don't think about you at all. Exactly, but you made it seem like he was hurt, and now this is his retaliation. No, you're not hurt. This okay. Is, you set the trap. This is trolling 101. You set the trap, they bite, and you're like... Okay, relax. My dad used to do this all the time. He would say, Your dad? Yeah, he would say something incorrect, like, hey, man, I thought I told you to empty the dishwasher. And I said, I did empty the dishwasher. It's empty. And he says, okay, relax. You ain't got to jump down my neck. And I'm like, it always flips it onto, oh, I'm right, right, right. the aggrieved, like the party that's taking it too far. And he was just asking a question. And so <laughs> I learned from the great 
And now I impart that greatness to you, right? Me and, and Coach Malone, we're part of a secret circle of people who just know how to do this troll game mwah, to perfection. Well, I mean, thank you to your dad. Thank you to Coach Malone. And Coach Malone. And Coach Malone's dad, Brendan Malone, who was also a coach. <laughs> and coming up, we have a great interview with Russ Bangston, author of The History of Basketball Through 15 Sneakers. Um, stick around. Wins. Yeah. Have you ever wondered if Chet Holmgren might be a descendant of Abraham Lincoln? Or if a UFC fighter could beat an alien in a fight? You might have not, and that's okay. But Shea Serrano and Jason Concepcion from the Six Trophies podcast have. If you love basketball and, more importantly, if you love fun, you've got to listen to Six Trophies, where Shea and Jason serve up the biggest moments from around the NBA with their brand of unbridled joy, banter, and pop culture side quests. Each week, they hand out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Stuff like the Denzel Washington in Training Day trophy, given out to the player or team having the best week around the NBA. Or the Lauren Hill you might win some dot dot dot, but you just lost one trophy for the team or player that just can't get it together. Plus a bunch more trophies for all the good, bad, or just plain head scratching moments around the NBA. This playoff season, you'll want to make six trophies your go to companion podcast. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Our next guest is a former editor-in-chief of Slam Magazine and former sneaker editor at Complex. He's got a new book, A History of Basketball in 15 Sneakers. It is Russ Bengtson. Russ Thanks for joining us. Let me start with what sneakers are you wearing right now? I could lie about this, but it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I am not wearing sneakers <laughs> at all in the house. <laughs> if you were, though, if you were, what would you choose right now? Well, it's funny, like I have a pair right next to my feet and like pretty much wherever I am in this house, I probably have a pair right next to my feet. And uh, they're the Adidas superstars that DJ Clark Kent and I did when we were doing the uh quick strike show back on complex mm -hmm. i actually wore those for the first time in a while last week hold them up um, for us hold them oh yeah. yeah they'll hopefully get a little more foot time Let me, uh. <laughs> more foot time but, hey there you got go. tangled in the mic but oh there it's weird like i'm moving in opposite ways that i think <laughs> i should be moving i think it's like the mirror thing but yeah. those are sick pretty psyched on these so uh, I wish superstars were a bit more comfortable, but they get the job done. The sneakers of old, comfort, technology, weight, they, they get Fs on. But <laughs> stylistically, there's something about them that just look better than modern basketball sneakers that come out now. Why? I think there's a lot to be said for simplicity, you know, and like, the Chuck Taylor, the Superstar, the Puma Clyde, like 
they were all just so basic. They weren't worried about um, sticking extra things in the sole for cushioning or like heavily padding the uppers or, you know, I saw those, uh, what do you call it? The new LaMelo Ball Pumas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like wearing a comic book on your feet. And it's very cool, I assume, if you're like a 15-year-old. But for the average adult, I think you're like, you you really got to be special to pull those off. What do you think, Russ, is the the most classic shoe? What do you think is the shoe w- where you look at the design and you're like, that is basically perfect, the, the opposite of the comic book shoe? I mean, for a super long time, it was the Chuck Taylor. And it's hard, like, I feel like, you know, the Chuck Taylor came out in the early 1900s. It was pretty much the state of the art, which is kind of funny, until the late 60s. So, you know, it had like half a century. And it really established itself where like, even if you draw like a cartoon of a basketball player, like Chuck's makes sense. That being said to me, it's probably the Air Jordan 11, you know, which I kind of talk about in the book as being like a modern, modern for 1995 equivalent of the Chuck Taylor, where it's like, it's such a simple shoe. Like it only uses what you really need. The patent leather even served a purpose and you can identify it from you know, a hundred feet away and it doesn't require a logo for you to do that. How did you feel about having the only repeat sneaker really in the 15 was the Jordans? You had two Jordans in there. Was that a, was yeah. that a struggle for you to do or was this a no brainer? Look, it's going to be the ones and it's going to be the 11s. It was a little bit of a struggle, you know, like, first of all, settling on 15. I think initially, like I was looking at 10 or 12 and kind of realized like, there's going to be enormous gaps if I only do that few. And if I did many more than that, then you start to get into like, you know, those kind of books have been written before, you know, then it's, then it's vignettes. Then it's Mm -hmm. like super short. Initially I had three Jordans. You could probably guess what the third one is, but I won't belabor the point. Like initially it was the one, the three and the 11, Mm -hmm. you know, the one being important because it was the first, Mm -hmm. the three, because it, really brought him back into the Nike fold and kind of kicked off everything that Jordan has become now. And the 11, because it was the one he wore when he came back, it was a struggle to keep the 11 because you have that 95, 96 timeframe. I was also late to add the swoops. I realized kind of during the process, I'm like, Oh man, I don't have a women's basketball shoe in here. And I'm, that's really bad. Um, Cause it is crucial to this story. So I added the swoops and then it's like, okay, so I have two from that 95 era, which meant I had to leave out and maybe that question's coming, but the question, which killed me mm. to leave out, you know, fortunately, I think I was able to touch on a bunch of the Iverson stuff in other chapters. So, um, I don't feel like I missed it completely, but yeah, that one hurt. That was going to be my question. Like what was the 16th or 17th or 18th shoe, but you answer that, but like, what hurt the most personally? Like, what were you like? Ah, I wish I had time for that. Was it the the Iverson? Yeah, the question the question hurt because, you know, talking to David Falk, he he mentioned like, you know, he thought Jordan and Iverson were the two guys who could really move shoes, and I was like, oh, you mean then? He's like, no, I mean right now. I'm like, well, okay. I don't know if Iverson has been doing that. You know, I think Reebok has switched hands a few times. They're still kind of finding their way and doing some things I find terribly confusing. That one and the other one I regretted leaving out was, and I I didn't even get to the point where I figured out what specific shoe it would be, but Ewing. 
Oh, you know, when Patrick left Adidas and him and Falk, basically David Falk is a recurring character in this book. He's like the, I, I don't know. Some people would consider him Voldemort, I suppose, but <laughs> you know, he could be the Dumbledore of all this if you want to, um, Harry Potter it, but you know, Ewing's own brand back then was pretty revolutionary, you know, and a pretty insane idea. I, the, the fact that he was a New York guy, it made a little bit more sense. Um, the fact that it was Falk made more sense. And they approached it as kind of the way other brands have tried to make this like affordable shoe at first. And I think later the price point ticked up and it did become a, uh, you know, a status symbol, just like a lot of the other ones. The two that I thought that I was surprised I didn't see were the Converse Weapon, given that so many marquee players in the 80s, I mean, that was the shoe that they all wanted to wear. And then the other right. one was the Grant Hill Filas, which for me, I was in high school at the time, Grant Hill was my favorite player, and I remember it was, comparatively to other signature shoes, a lot more affordable uh, and so, and that was, that was kind of like my shoe. I know Grant Hill 2s, where the Hill logo was towards the ankle as opposed to down by the sole. Uh, what were your thoughts on those two sneakers and leaving them off? Yeah, Fila is another one where that, that I probably could have given more attention to. You know, like the Grant Hill probably is the one. You know, they signed Jamal, Jamal Mashburn around the same time and Jerry Stackhouse. Stackhouse. Like, they did try to make an entry into that market. And Grant was really the one who who hit. Um, I know th th there's stories about like when Jamal signed, his signing bonus basically was a Ferrari, which yeah. is a good reason to sign with an Italian sneaker company. And, and he couldn't, um, he couldn't drive stick though. That was the joke. Right? <laughs> he, got, he got a Ferrari. Now I think you can get those converted, but um, back then, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how a six nine guy was going to fit in one back then either. But the weapon, a little bit less so. You know, I, de I did do, like, a sidebar on the weapon. You know, I look at the weapon as more of a, a belated converse response to what happened with Air Jordan. Mm. You know, and the idea that you could sell a shoe primarily based on color. And I, it, it's funny, like, to me, with the weapon, they still, you know, even though they saw what Nike was able to do with Jordan and move like $126 million worth of product in a single year, they still hedge their bets. Like to me in 86, if Converse is going to do the weapon, you make that shoe for bird and magic and make it their shoe, period. Mm -hmm. You know, and Converse still like had this sense of, well, we got to have everyone. So they did that rapping commercial, which is still, you know, I still go back and watch that every month or so because it's so funny. Um, you know, you have Magic and Bird, but you also have Isaiah and Mikhail and uh, Bernard King and, man, who else was in that? Was it Adrian Dantley? Like, I think so, yeah. They really, like, loaded their entire basketball roster into it. And it's like, guys, you know, you should have realized by then that's that's not what it was about anymore. Russ, I, I have a you came up through sneaker media. You carved out your niche. You you planted your flag. I'm interested. What do you think has changed more, the sneaker industry or the media industry? And if you see any similarities between the way that they've shifted, man, it's a good question. You know, it, it's it's hard to say. And it's like, you know, I, I guess, and to make like a sort of a mild, cur you know, I think I came up through basketball media as much as I did sneaker media. You know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I got to Slam because of part of the reason I wanted to work at Slam was because I knew the Jordan retros were coming out, and I was like, oh, this could be my access. 
Um, you know, and then it turned into obviously like an entire career there and doing a, a bunch of stuff. But um, when I stopped really going to NBA games as media, it was like just when they were starting to allow access to like web-based publications, which sounds so quaint now. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was first at Slam, we didn't get season credentials for years. I talked to people at the Knicks and they were like, no, we're not going to give you a season pass. You have to apply for a credential every single game. And I'm like, you really want, I'm going to come to every home game. So you want me to send a fax <laughs> for kids. That's something you stick a piece of paper in and it transmits <laughs> over phone lines for every single game. And they did. I have like an entire like bag in the attic full of credentials. And I had to do this for the Nets too. And probably three years in, they finally credentialed us. And, you know, we were seen as kind of the, um, I, I don't even know, like just kids playing around, you know, like, because we weren't beat writers. We weren't jumping on guys right away to be like, what happened in this moment in the end of the third quarter? You know, we would hang back and talk to guys after and kind of de develop relationships. So later on, when we did features, like they would talk to us and we would, they would know who we were. Um, and now I, I don't know, like, you know, especially with the rise of social media, like, I feel like everything that goes on in a locker room is content, you know, and I kind of understand why teams would be a little hesitant to open the locker rooms back up when stuff like that is happening. You know, it's like, I could probably write an entire separate book on all the things I overheard and saw in locker rooms that I never wrote about because it's like, that's not for me. That's not based on something I asked. It's just players in their sanctuary. Um, and that, unfortunately that's kind of only the first half of that question. Like the sneaker stuff has changed tremendously too. You know, I touch on it a little bit in the book, but like when Jordan released their first retros, kind of nobody cared, you know, like sneaker companies had spent so much time and so much money and so much energy convincing people that the only cool stuff was the newest stuff. So it's like the idea of buying an eight year old shoe that had been reissued was just like, why would I do that? I want whatever the newest thing is, you know, and now we're so far away from that. You know, I was talking to someone about it where it's like all the Jordan retros get pushed so hard and the 38, like, which is supposed to be their flagship shoe came out and it's just like, all right, it's on the wall somewhere if you can find it. All right. You can catch the rest of our interview with Russ Bankston at a later date. And maybe we've already talked to him. Maybe we haven't because this is a multiverse and you never know. I could be in Las Vegas right now. You guys don't know where I am. You are in front of the sphere right now. So I'm assuming you're in Vegas. If you're listening to this, I'm assuming you've never heard of this thing called YouTube. Look, I get it. Not every time you can catch it us live on DraftKings Network, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday through Friday. But that's not an excuse to fire up the YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Five stars. I don't even know you can do stars on YouTube. But you can watch us, and you got to watch us because there's stuff happening in the background of Charlotte's shot right there. I'm in a studio now, you guys. You have to watch it because I'm professional now. I'm in a studio. I move around and we show video. We show pictures. There's all types of stuff. If you're just listening, you're getting literally 40% or less of the goddamn experience. Get your head out of your ass and while oh, you're man. at it. And leave that part out of here. Bleep all of that. They're not a sponsor anymore.
I would like to say thank you to everybody listening and encourage you to watch. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.